0: Welcome to Boomeranging, From Expat to Repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Today we sit down with Jane Holman. After years of leading global teams from Australia, Jane decided mid-2008 that it was actually her turn to embark upon an international adventure. Moving to New York, she arrived in the midst of the GFC, where she discovered her senior HR leadership experience was in hot demand. Working for the likes of MasterCard and American Express, she was at the helm of leading human capital strategy at a time when the financial services sector was under intense public scrutiny. Jane quickly found herself in step with work and life in New York in more ways than one. As an avid traveler and runner, she often combined the two by entering as many New York roadrunner races and marathons as possible. Like many expats who return at the senior level, Jane encountered the professional challenge of re-entering the local market. Today, I am interested to hear how she navigated those challenges, where she had her fair share of coffees and interviews in pursuit of the next role, and also whether or not she continues to explore new places in a pair of running shoes. So welcome, Jane. Thank you, Margot. I'm delighted to have you here. Good to be here. Yeah. Where are we chatting with
1: you today? We are chatting uh, to me from my little spare room, which is now
0: my workplace in Melbourne. Excellent. given COVID. During COVID, yes. So, Jane, before we dive into your overseas journey, are you able to share a little bit of your background and I guess any early influences that may have planted the seeds for heading overseas? I mean, my my background
1: from a career perspective has been, I guess, you'd probably say it's probably a standard career. You know, I, I, um, I've worked in a lot of different organisations and a lot of big, you know, the biggest multinational I worked in was with Citigroup. Uh, I was there with mm-hmm. them for about seven years um, and gradually took on, you know, more and more senior roles uh, uh, in Australia and, and uh, uh, ended with a, a final senior role at the AFL before I uh, moved overseas. Um I mean, I, I think in terms of, you know, what was the, you know, motive for moving overseas, I mean, I've always been a traveller and I've always wanted to live overseas. I've always known that for as long as when I was at university. I knew at some point I wanted to live overseas. I uh, didn't know where, didn't have a particular place that I
0: wanted to go. I just knew that at some point that was what I wanted to do. Mm. You consciously made the decision to move to New York, I guess, midway through your career executing it yourself without the backdrop of an organisation. I think that's really brave. Was there something about New York that had grabbed your attention at that time? Look, New York
1: was always a city that I loved. I'd been there a a few times just on holidays, and there was just something about that city that I thought, I must live here one day. Uh, and, Mm. uh, and And it just got to that point, I think, when, you know, I was at the AFL and I thought, if I don't go now, I'll never go. You know, and it was just at that moment of thinking, it's it's now or never, and and so yeah, I was it's dying. time. Yeah, it's time, and so you know, as you said, I I didn't go with a job. I didn't go with the help of an organisation. I went for three months. Um, you know, quit my job, went for three months on a tourist visa on the basis that get okay. a job, great. If I don't, I've lived in New York for three months and. I'll come back to Australia. And that was that was pretty much what I went over with, you know. Uh, yeah. And there was nothing there was nothing set up for me when I went.
0: So an open mind and and a readiness to grab it if it happened. Absolutely. Mm. And if
1: it didn't that was fine too.
0: Yeah. So you arrived, I mean just as the GFC was really taking hold and quickly moved into I think your role was VP HR for American Express. Yes. It's an interesting time to say the least <laughs> when you arrived. Lots of public scrutiny, both organisationally, I think it was, and also as an industry, you know, this downsizing, staff layoffs, managing a workforce during an incredible period of uncertainty. Can you paint the picture of what that meant logistically? Staff, size, regions, what what was going on?
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, I had the business groups that I supported were global mm-hmm. and for the finance team, which was the the biggest team that uh, that I was supporting, you know, we had to basically within a twelve month period take the head count from about two and a half thousand down to just under a thousand uh, mm-hmm. in, in twelve wow. months, and so you know that was really challenging. I'd not been involved in such a large downsizing uh, in the past. And there were so many things that overlaid it. You know, it wasn't just the bulk of the people that you had to either try and find another home for internally or let go out of the organisation. But it was the fact that you knew that when you were letting them go, they probably had no job to go to. You know, the GFC was tough. And so you knew you were probably sending them out into long-term unemployment. And so we had to think about things like, was that person married to another person in the organization, and was that person going to lose their job? Uh, because what mm. we want to do was take out both um, uh, incomes at the same time. You know, we, we knew yeah, that finally. would be, be bad. So, uh, so that
0: was a conscious decision. It's a conscious
1: decision. Yeah, we didn't want to take mm. out both, both incomes, and so you know mm. that meant having phone calls with leaders in other parts of the organization to say, you know, are you letting Margot go because we're letting Fred go? And We don't want to take them both like at the same time. So, so, and it didn't always work. But um, you know, where we could, um, that was what we tried to do. And it was just, it was just a really challenging time professionally to to go through that and the stress of that and managing not only your own stress, I think, as the HR practitioner, but the stress of the leaders who were having to have these endless conversations and then supporting the staff who were being let go. Um, you know, it was a really, mm. really challenging. Probably first eighteen months.
0: Of- yeah, sounds like it was an incredible grounding for what we're really going through today.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, professionally, it was amazing. I wouldn't want to mm. do it again, but it was an amazing professional experience, and I learned an
0: enormous mm. amount uh, going through that. And you obviously found your home in financial services there, because I think after American Express, you moved on to Mastercard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And what did that role look like, or?
1: That was this, It was a, look. It was a very similar role. It was a, a, a VP of HR, global remit, um, different organisation, different uh, set of challenges. Obviously, there was no GFC to go through, so there wasn't a, really any restructuring to go through. So it was kind of your standard,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, VP of HR at that point, um, which was a nice relief after three years. I was going to of-
0: say, it must yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, I mean, five years in a city such as New York, it provides you with, you know, not just professional opportunities, but huge personal ones. Um, talk to us about what life was like in New York for you. Uh, Look, I love New York. I mean, it was, you know once you got used to the
1: noise um and uh, and try to sleep through traffic which which was a real thing for me when i first went there because that was not something that i was used to doing but you know it would the, the energy of the city was something that grabbed me um you know the fact that you could see these amazing people on Broadway and go and see plays with, with you know, actors that you'd only seen on the screen and, you know, and, and just running into famous people on the street. I mean, it's this whole thing about New York, I think, and, and just the mm. uh, the opportunities there I think were fantastic, you know, the the quality of the art galleries and the museums and, and I think just the opportunities to live a very, very different life to what I'd lived.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I often sort of share, I mean, I, I think it it is a real saturation of the senses, isn't it, when you're somewhere new. You know, it's not just new smells or new food. It's absolutely everything that you get exposed to.
1: Yeah, and and look, in you spend, I think, and I think anyone who moves overseas experiences this for the first, you know six months you really have no idea what's going on or who anyone is and you know mm. so you're constantly thinking well why who is that politician or who is this person or what's what's this that's going on and it probably took me about the first six months of just really following the news really closely and and talking about oh okay this is what that is you know and, and really really understanding the country I think um was well
0: was, it's localizing it isn't it you know and- oh, absolutely yeah <laughs> Now you're also an avid runner, and I understand you took the opportunity to run several of the major sort of US road races and marathons when you were there. Um, sort of, where did that take you?
1: I mean, oh look, I did, I did. Uh, I mean, I lived um, within a ten minute jog of Central Park, so I was, uh, so yeah. I was always in Central Park, either on Central Park or running up the West Side Highway. Uh, that was, that mm-hmm. was my. I had a. a, a a half marathon loop from my apartment to the George Washington Bridge and back that I would do, you know, most Sundays. So I was constantly signing up for New York Roadrunner races. They would do them in the park. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah, they'd have some in Staten Island and, and different mm-hmm. places out in Brooklyn. Um, and I did a few marathons as well. I went to Disney World in Florida and I did uh, uh, the Disney Disney Marathon weekend races there. I went to Philadelphia and did a half marathon there. I did the Seattle Marathon uh, went to Nashville and did a half yeah, marathon great. in Nashville. <laughs> so I was kind of all over the place. It, where if there was an interesting race or somewhere I wanted to go, I always looked to see if there was a race on. Um, oh, fabulous, where, yeah. Some running at the same time. So I loved it. It was, uh, and I did the New York marathon twice. So uh, oh, it, was, it was great. It was a great great experience and volunteered for the New York City Marathon as well. So I was a volunteer one year and that was, that was a lot of fun as
0: well. So I think you just have to, you threw yourself into it. You see the city through a different lens, don't you, when you're sort of running through oh, it, totally. you know, so. Totally. Um, yeah, totally. Hmm. So after five years, you make the conscious decision to return to Melbourne. What was it or the motivation or the thinking that's shaped that? I mean, I'd always
1: made. I'd always had in my mind that I would make a decision every 2 years when my E3 visa needed to get renewed. That was always a it was every 2 years I would decide am I coming home or am I renewing? Am I coming home or am I renewing? Mm-hmm. And it got to the it got to the 5 year mark and you know, getting older and I just thought it, it, that fi- the 5 year mark I either had to you know plant a flag and stay in America for a lot longer or yeah. come home. You know, and you sort of start to think all right, well, I could stay um and you know, either look for another job or or just do whatever. But, you know, you start to think about what you're missing back home and you're missing your friends and their lives are moving on and you're not there. And you start to think, well, if I stay away too long, is it going to be too hard to come back? So Mm -hmm. so I thought at that point, look, I've, um, you know, I've been here for five years. It's been a really good stint. It's probably time to go home. Um, I probably came home a couple of years too early, but, you know, the decision was made. So uh, I did what most, you know, expats then do is you then spend a few months trying to get yourself sorted to pack up and come home and, and then mm. get on the plane. And it was heart-wrenching in some respects because it had been my life yeah. for five years, you know. And so it was really yeah. cool when that final, you know, when the wheels went up at Los Angeles, you know, to, to come home, that was kind of the final moment of you are leaving the United States, you know. um, I'm really
0: doing this. I'm Hmm. really
1: doing that. Wheels up, like up until then it was fun, but once those wheels go up at LAX, it's, uh, you're on
0: your way home, you know. And I think that sort of concept of home is really interesting, isn't it? Sort of once you sort of get to the five-year mark, you know, you've really started to get under the skin of a place and, and put down your own roots and you know, you come back and you think, actually, I've still got a sense of home over there, but I've, I mean, I've always going to have a sense of home here, but it's difficult to probably reconcile the two sometimes, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I came back, you know, in my little room here, I've got an American flag hanging up. You know, I came back with an American flag and it proudly hangs in, in my house. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it is, I mean, it's still my home. America is still my second home. It always will be. I'll always be as is my second home, um, mm, mm. and uh, and you do, and you come back to Australia, and it was just different. You know, it wasn't mm, it wasn't mm. the country I'd left in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just very different. It was
0: very different and very hard coming home. And I think you were no doubt different. You know, to when oh, you absolutely. left,
1: I don't think you realise it until you actually come home. I don't think you realise mm. how much you've changed until you come home. You know, you've experienced something. Pretty amazing being having the opportunity to live overseas um and uh but you don't realize until you come back and you start to look for things that are familiar to you from your previous life and they're not there anymore you know or you have a different um outlook on life that that people here just didn't have because they, they had not lived overseas you know and and so yeah you know so you do you do come back and realize that that you're very different
0: yeah what were some of those subtle changes that you noticed either here in australia or in yourself because that would have been 2000 and 2014, Yeah, yeah, that you arrived back.
1: I don't know. I mean, what are the things? I mean, look, there was all the little, the silly little things that you notice when you come back. You know, like why why were the banks not open seven days a week? Um, You know, it was just you know. I remember standing in front of the bank Westpac in Collins Street on a Saturday because I needed to get something. You know, gone wrong with my card or something and standing in front of it going, what do you mean you're not open on a Saturday? You know, because mm. I was so used to that. So, you you know, there were things like that that you were just so used to, um, you know, home and, you know, all sorts of, you know, silly things like that that you get used to. But um, I don't know, I, I felt, I came back and I felt really restless. You know, it was very mm. hard to settle in to, to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Because I was back in a house. I wasn't in an apartment on a busy street anymore. I was in a house. And even though it's, you know, in in the inner city, but it was it was different. I felt, um, yeah, you just felt very restless and not really like, uh, did I make the right decision? And I, I thought that probably for the first two years, I think. But
0: mm. Did I
1: make the right call in coming back to
0: Australia? Yeah, and it's interesting. You say two years. It's it is a common marker for many people. I think when they come back, they're kind of like, "Oh, I could go again." You know, it could be very easy to step back over there. My networks are still alive. I still yeah. know people. I know the organisations. So I think, yeah, that two-year mark is is an interesting marker. Yeah,
1: and it's, and it's coming back. I think, and you don't, you can't talk about it with your friends
0: about these.
1: Yeah. You know, you can't. you yeah. can't, you just can't because they're not interested, and so, and that makes it difficult as well. I think the only people you can talk to are the people who have lived overseas. So I was lucky; I had some friends back at the same time, um, and so you had those people that you looked like.
0: Mm. And it's really hard to turn off a piece of your life that you've loved and you've grown in so much. So Definitely. it's it's a very difficult thing to have to navigate. To Navigate, yeah. To the hot topic of re-entering the workforce in Australia, you didn't work for the first twelve months. I think you said when you were back. And whilst it's not unusual for senior execs to take twelve months or so to transition, this was a period that was fraught with complexity in terms of positioning your overseas experience. I think you did your round of you know coffees and recruiter meetings and um, meeting with organisational leaders who were really reluctant, I think, to accept the value of your international experience. How you navigate this and what did you find that worked or helped you re-enter? I was really shocked actually. Um, I
1: was new Australia, didn't necessarily love its returning, returning expats before I went overseas, but but it was always very academic. And so it wasn't until mm-hmm. I was experiencing it that, that it became very real. Um, and I did, I, I spoke to a lot of people. I had some, you know, HR recruiters and who were very who were openly hostile about the fact that I'd lived overseas and really yeah I was really shocked at that and it wasn't because I was coming in and saying well you know I've lived in New York and therefore you have to pay me like half a million dollars or anything it was just more okay Mm. tell me about the market what's what's you know what are the open roles and and it was very uh it was very surprising and and just really disappointing that that there were organizations, and it wasn't just recruiters. There were a few organizations as well that could not see the value of international experience at all, and and were very clear. Mm. Just, I, I kept the the thing I kept hearing was, "Oh, you've been overseas for five years, so um, you wouldn't have a clue what's going on in the local market." You know, from a HR perspective, and um, and you know, and I, just, I was astonished at that. Mm. That. Um, that Attitude, I think.
0: So, where did you find the ins or the open ears? I mean, I found them
1: through a couple of people who had also gone overseas, who'd had international experience, you know. And these were people who um, who had had done the same thing that I did, you know. It, it certainly wasn't through anyone that was. Uh, local it was it was generally through that or through a couple of friendly recruiters that I had known before I left Australia so they Mm -hmm. they knew me um, and they were the people I sort of clung to but there weren't that many it was it was really it it was very challenging it did I did consider moving back at that point.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think um, when you spoke at one of our events, you you made a comment that really touched, I think, the hearts of a few people. Which was, it's a terrible thing sometimes to feel like you've been rejected by your own country, and how you have to reconcile that feeling. And whilst that's not outwardly the case always, there are moments when you're the one that's sitting at home waiting and keen and eager to enter the market and contribute. I think we're all hardwired to contribute. It's a very hard reality to constantly have the door closed.
1: Yeah, and I think given that I'd had a lengthy career in Australia as well, it wasn't like I'd sort of left Australia when I was 22 and had not worked in Australia. You know, I'd had a lengthy career in Australia before I left, and so mm. it, was, it felt like it was you being rejected by your own country there's a certain there's a certain feeling about that that is really hard, mm. to, hard to deal with but you know you, you and and so i just in the end i just stopped talking about overseas i talked about the experience i just didn't say where i got it because yeah. i t- i realized fairly quickly that the market at that point just was not interested and so mm. i i would just exclude the new york bit i mean i had to have it on the red flag because you know but but i would just not say where I
0: got the experience I just said this is the experience I have well thankfully we still have you here um, yeah. <laughs> in Australia um and I think you know you found that you know you're you've sort of made your way back into the market via projects or via contracts I think is where you felt like you've had success yes
1: yeah absolutely I mean I've uh that's that's pretty much what I've done since I came back um you know, I had one uh Permanent job, but I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy, um, but other than that, uh, I've done contract work uh, and mm-hmm. consulting work since I've got back, and that that seems to be my home
0: now, largely in the area of change and transformation.
1: Absolutely, and I've just finished a piece um, of work uh, for an organisation as their head of HR, doing managing an integration, a large-scale company integration, which is still at the tail end and still ongoing, but. Uh, but being part of that, and so uh, yeah, all we'll, we'll change integration um, uh, piece of work, and and you know, and working with some small organisations as well around you know organisational structure and leadership and mm. coaching and things like that. So, so it's been a um, a really interesting way to pivot the career away from permanent roles mm. to more interim contract and consulting, mm. which I actually quite enjoy.
0: Yeah, fabulous. And I think like whilst on the face of it, it may not have been obvious or felt as though the overseas experience was valued. What is it that you value about the experience and how it has set you up for the work that you're doing today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I for me, it's just that ability of bringing different perspectives. And I think that's the thing you mm-hmm. want from any person that you either hire or you work with. Uh, is I, I just have a different perspective on on how organisations um, should operate and can operate, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, much more uh, wanting to see what other countries are doing and mm-hmm. see what uh, what the rest of the world is, rather than just looking inward within Australia for for, for information. And so, you know, that's the the, the piece that I've really. Um, Appreciated about my international experiences. It's given me that breadth and that understanding of how the world works uh, and how HR particularly operates very differently in organisations. and And I go, I so said, I go looking for that when, if I'm yeah. in position of hiring, I go looking for expats. I go looking for return. Expats. It's a deliberate thing now, very conscious. If they've got it, then yep. have an interview, you know, because yeah. I know what they're probably going through, but I know they've got that experience. Um, and then yeah, and bring, shared understanding. Yeah, and they can bring connections and I think that's the thing that expats bring is, you know, these the connections to other countries, particularly... For- businesses that are
0: wanting to expand internationally. Yeah. And I, I think you've done quite a bit of work with um, even the likes of Trina Blair and her organisation, which is looking at companies that look to scale offshore. So, that's another way you've been able to contribute your knowledge, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been a, a business mentor for a couple of startups now and I've got one that's still, still a, a mentor for, for a founder, female founder, and that's been really interesting and really enjoyable. yeah you know, giving them my perspective on the American market and and helping them position um, themselves and help them understand, okay, if you want to pitch your business into New York, this is what you're going to need to think about. These are the you're the kinds of people that you're going to need to uh, connect with in order to to make that business successful. Um, so, so I really enjoyed that. I've been doing that probably for about three years now. So, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's uh, we haven't had any anyone through this year, obviously, because of uh, 2020. But hopefully next year we'll have. Yeah. a
0: Another group of founders that will go through and uh, and I'll be able to you know participate in that. Yeah, fantastic. And so of course, the professional transition is only one aspect of returning home. Um, we also need to re-establish lives personally and friends and family and create new rituals, um find our identity again, I guess, in a place that looks the same but doesn't always feel the same. How did you do this, and you know what were the things that you found really easy versus maybe some of the things that were quite surprising?
1: I mean, there's things that I've um, come back with from the US. With I mean, I'm still obsessed with NFL, and I'll still watch an NFL game over yeah. over anything. I don't I don't watch AFL at all, um, which is probably you know a. <laughs> I'm oh, really? as a Victorian, but I have zero interest in <laughs> AFL. Um, Even though you I mean, worked I, for the AFL, when mm-hmm. I worked for them, I was very clear that the game was not my game. Um, so it it just I know <laughs> it just hasn't been. So you know, so there's those things that I still will. Um, I'll watch uh, American football when the when the season's on, um, and so that that is definitely mm-hmm. a, a a ritual. Um, I mean, I don't think I've done anything um i mean i'm different per se i probably go out for brunch more than i probably did before i left america left for america that's just something you do in new york you go for brunch um and so there's things like that that um i've come back with in doing that and probably see uh oh yeah probably just out more than i did before beforehand um, mm-hmm. I, I know, but then there's a lot of things that i just slid back into as well you know um, but, mm-hmm. but certainly um, doing a lot more, you know, go to more film festivals. I must say to go to the film festivals and the writers' festivals in New York. Didn't really do that before I left Australia. Go to them all now when I'm back, now that I'm back. I go to the Sydney Writers Festival every year. I go to Melbourne Writers Festival, uh, Melbourne Film Festival. So there's things like that that I just hadn't done, didn't do before I left.
0: You are still an avid consumer of US <laughs> news, which I'm sure is proving incredibly interesting <laughs> so at the interesting. moment. <laughs> <laughs> and you said American
1: football. Who's your team? Uh, uh, Patriots. Patriots right. are my team. I deliberately did not choose a New York team because I just, and I'd been a Patriots fan for God, 20 years, long before I moved to the US. So they had always yeah. been my day. So, Yeah,
0: yeah. And arranges for to- hockey. <laughs> oh, okay. And hockey as well. Brilliant. I mean, how else do you stay connected, I guess, with your second home of New York? Um, you know, are there other things, or, you know, have you found during this time that there's a lot more connection globally with friends overseas? How do you stay connected and how do you, I guess, use that to your advantage?
1: I mean, you look, I mean, I, I yeah, I certainly, um, follow the us and politics quite closely i'm trying not to at the moment as much as i can because it's so depressing um but um i mean you know you you stay in touch i guess with people back there through social media and and, um, Mm. through linkedin and things like that so i don't think i probably keep in touch with people anyway any, any special way but um, but certainly um, do that and and I said I have other friends who lived in New York who've come back and so we will mm-hmm. you know often talk about what's going on in with the. US election and uh, and things like that and then we stop yeah yeah it's
0: depressing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, I, and I'll read. You know, I subscribe to the New York Times still and the Washington Post, and so you know, I read them pretty regularly. So there's mm-hmm. there's still a certain ritual. It.
0: Yeah. And now running? Are you
1: still running? I am still running. I am injured at the moment, but um, but I am absolutely still running. I was uh, meant to be in Berlin last year uh, for the marathon, and then got injured and pulled out two days before the race um and so that's now of course now bumped to 2021 um right yeah that will be um that'll be my next marathon but no I'm still still doing still running as much as I can so and, Mm -hmm. and I'll do anything I'll run anywhere for a medal it's got to be a good
0: medal that's why you do it <laughs> something something else shiny to hang on the wall. you got to have some
1: bling. I don't do it if there's no bling. <laughs>
0: fabulous, fabulous. So um you mentioned also that you now finished with your contract. You've recently finished one. So what does life look like for you now? Are you on the hunt for something new? Are you enjoying a lady of leisure time? Oh look, this is uh, you know, obviously we're speaking on day
1: one of Lady of Leisure time because I only finished right. up yesterday. So um uh, I'm going to take a break, <laughs> to yeah, say. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty tired, so I'm going to take a break. But, uh, but I've got lots of plans for consulting and, and working in that Human capital space, and uh, so I'm going to. Uh, I'm already doing some work with a couple of clients, um, mm-hmm. anyway, and of helping a, a, an organization with some restructuring and uh, and some develop leadership development and supporting their HR team. So, so there's some definitely some work uh, out there, but I'm really just going to be in planning mode for next year, which will mm-hmm. involve more consulting and working with organizations in the space of. You know, capability and design and, and leadership and uh, and an area I very much want to spend more time in is is ethics and uh, and culture. I think that's an area that organisations just don't shy away from. Uh, I'd like to yeah. say they don't shy away
0: from. So. Uh, oh, so do excellent. space in there, so as well as some coaching. So I do I do lots of different different things, really. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll definitely be watching this space with interest. Yes. <laughs> now we do finish all of our podcasts with five rapid fire questions, so we'd love to put those to you now. It's just a word or a phrase that comes to mind. Living overseas taught me what about myself. How uh, adaptable I am. I think the number one skill I use today from my life overseas is, Oh, God, I don't know.
1: What would be the number one skill? I don't don't think I have one, Margot. Um,
0: uh, Which one is probably the answer? Yeah, I don't think (laughs) I question
1: one particular skill. I think curiosity.
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, Um, curiosity, yeah. Love it. When I want to feel like I'm back in my adopted country, a dish I would choose to eat is? Well, as we all know, America is not known for its lean cuisine. Um, But if I
1: want to pretend I'm back in New York again, I will on a Saturday morning go and buy fresh bread in the papers because that's what I always used to do in New York and take it home and read them. So, uh, fabulous.
0: Fresh bread with toast. Excellent. The best part about being home is? The safety and security of Australia. Yeah, we're blessed, aren't we? It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, a word, song, or quote that best describes my time overseas is. Oh, geez. Is there a song that takes you back? Is there? No, I don't think there's
1: a song that takes me back. Um, the only thing that takes me back is when I watch NFL, when I watch American football. Ah, I think that's, okay. That makes me, that makes take takes me back to standing in a very freezing field and watching the Jets play uh, in New York. And um, and that that always takes me back to that. Yeah. But that probably it, is sitting watching American football.
0: Great memory to have. Always yeah. takes me back. Yeah, fabulous. Well, thanks, Jane. We've loved your insights and I have no doubt that people will enjoy listening to them, especially those that have lived in New York. And, yeah, we watch with interest where you'll pop up next. Thank you very much. Thanks, Margot. It's been great. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.